Please take your Bibles and join me in the book of Exodus. We will be in Exodus chapter 3 today. Continuing our series, Jehovah Unveiled. Uh, Chapters 1 and 2 were all about uh, the introduction. It was just setting the grim stage for just how bad it really was for the people of Israel. And bad indeed it was. Not only were they enslaved, having their freedoms taken away from them, um, but Pharaoh was going out of his way to limit their population growth by having all the little boys ordered to be murdered. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in in their shoes, the Israelite shoes, as if the work wasn't hard enough and the squalor of life wasn't discouraging enough. Then Pharaoh starts attacking my family, demanding the death of my babies. It's no wonder the people finally cried out in mass for God to respond. And God does respond, doesn't he? Our theme passage sums up quite concisely God's response and plan for his people. Would you say our theme verses with me together? Exodus 6, 6, and 7. That's not it. Do I not have it up there? No? Okay, then we won't worry about it. Um, Exodus 6, 6, and 7. I'll read it for you. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God is not only going to rescue them, he's going to make sure that they understand God alone did it. And if you know, if you know the Exodus, how it happened, that's exactly what he did. It wasn't some, uh, some sort of sneak out of, of the Israelites. They didn't just gather together and come up with a plan together and manage to force their way out. No, God did it. You know, God makes the same promise to us. He promises to take us as his own people, to adopt us as his people. He promises to free us from our greatest problem, the enslavement not of our job or our life. He promises to free us from the enslavement of sin. And he does all that when we respond in faith, trusting Jesus who paid the penalty for all our wrongdoing so that we might be declared righteous. Let's go to to, to today's text since I know we have that one available on the screen. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 16. I invite you to follow along as I read. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, 
Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. Father, use this text. Open our hearts. Remove the barriers that we're putting up right now. For whatever reason that we don't want to listen to your spirit, remove them so that we might hear from you and respond appropriately. In his name I pray, amen. Our big idea this morning is God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. He uses his people to accomplish his purposes. And he's going to do that through Moses. Moses isn't real excited about it at this point. In fact, in our last sermon in Exodus, Moses was starting to make excuses. And guess what's going to happen in the next sermon? He's going to make more. Okay, uh, But God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. The first command that God gives to Moses can be summed up in just one word, speak. Speak. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. Two things to note. The what of the message and the to whom of the message. So what is the content and who is that content being given to? So let's start with the recipients of the message. Uh, By the time of the Exodus, Scripture records that there were 600,000 men who left Egypt. 600,000. It's a little bigger than Harlan. And that was just the men, okay? So uh, not necessarily all, but many of them, probably most of them had wives. Most of them had children. So the number of people we're talking about is easily in the millions that Moses needs to get this message to. Yes, the people were slaves, But they had structures of tribes, of clans and families. So God did not give Moses the task of, okay, there's about four million people you need to go talk to. Get on it. No, he says, gather the elders. Gather the the top person from each tribe. Find out who they are. Communicate with them. Give them my message. And he says, go gather the elders, elders of Israel together and tell them, who I am. So when Moses gets up in front of the leaders to start his speech, he simply begins with God, the Lord. That's how God's message through Moses starts, the Lord. Remember when you see the word LORD in all caps, that is uh, the, it's the shorthand from Hebrew to English for the full name, the proper name of God himself. If you see just lowercase letters of Lord, then that's just a leader. Uh, But when we see the Lord in all caps, that is Jehovah or Yahweh, the proper name of God, the one who was 
and who is and who is to come. The great I am, the one who is the source of all. All these meanings are packed tightly into that name, Yahweh. The message is the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me. God himself is the authority of Moses' message. And we must not miss that. God is the authority. Not Moses. Who is Moses? He's the prince of Egypt who ran away. He's the prince of Egypt who killed the guy and got out of Dodge, right? And he's been gone for 40 years. He doesn't have authority in and of himself. God is the authority of Moses' message. And it's true for us too. It's true for me as I stand before you today. The message that I am preaching to you from the Word of God is authorized by God because as I stand here today and tell you this message from the Lord, I can tell you that the Spirit of God has led me to speak these words. I can tell you all about the study that I did to, uh, to dig into this text. And He's done all those. He's done this. He's guided my thoughts and processes. But then you can go and proceed and verify. That's why you should be looking at your Bible. That's why you should be analyzing the Scripture and proceed to verify. Yep, that checks. That's what God's Word said. The elders of Israel have zero Bible, right? There's nothing that they have as written Holy Scripture at this particular time. So God is going to give Moses signs to perform as proof. That's coming up later, so we'll save that for later. Anyway, uh, here's Moses' authority. It's God himself. He does not have authority because of his heritage being born a Hebrew, nor of his upbringing being raised a prince in Egypt, or even his experience as being a shepherd for his father-in-law. Moses' authority comes from the words God has spoken to him. So he's told to speak. He's told to speak of God. God, the God of your ancestors, has sent me. He's told to speak good news. Now, when we say good news in church, we know that that's the gospel, right? And that's what we see in Exodus 3.16. God says, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Here's the good news to Israel. God has been watching. And we, we dare not miss the significance of God saying, I have been carefully watching over you. This is the, the same biblical idiom that we have noticed before about God, that when he says, I know, or I've been watching, or um, I'm observing, it's never just that God understands or pays attention. It means that God knows what's happened and he's going to do something about it. There is an action implied in that observation. So in verse 17, he tells us what he is going to do. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Remember, the people he's talking to have known nothing but slavery. Israel has been enslaved, has been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and for a good bulk of that has been enslaved. So the people he's talking to have never known freedom. This is huge. But more so, he's not just going to remove the slavery problem. He's going to replace it 
with a generous gift. He says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and bring you to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And we talked about this last time, a land flowing with milk and honey, a phrase that just simply means it's an abundant land. You're not getting the scraps. You're not getting the leftovers. You're not getting a deserted place. Now, if you go to Israel, it's kind of desert. It's kind of barren. In this day, it was not. It was a very productive land. Israel's two problems are directly related. They are enslaved, number one. And number two, they have no power or provision to undo the slavery or to go anywhere. So even if they had a destination to go to, they can't get there from here. And God's going to take care of every one of those problems, isn't he? We too have the same two problems. Without Christ as our Savior, if you're sitting here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you still have this problem. That's a problem of enslavement. It's not to a political entity It's not to someone with a physical whip. It's an enslavement to sin, which is far worse. Because that enslavement to sin means that there is no relationship with God. And it means that you will be held to account for each and every sin you have committed. It's a pretty big problem. Our second problem, enslavement's pretty bad. Our second problem is we have no power to break that enslavement. And Jesus took care of it all. The good news always has bad news attached to it. The bad news is in our natural state. We can't do anything. We can't do anything that's pleasing to God. We can't do anything to undo a sin. We are enslaved. But the good news is, when we trust Jesus for our salvation, he removes all that sin. All that sin that you've ever committed, all that sin that you will commit, all the sins you're committing right now. Took care of them all. We too are called to speak. We are called to tell people the good news. We are called to tell people of who God is. We must untie our tongues to speak of God and his good news. If you have kids, if you have grandkids, I guarantee you have no problem telling your people about your kids and grandkids. Right? If you follow a, a sports team, if you have a, a favorite sport or a team, you have no problem talking to anyone who will listen about how they took that one thing from one spot and took it to another spot and got points for some reason. That's really what sports is, isn't it? And we'll talk about it for hours on end and we'll be, we'll be passionate about it. But when it comes to speaking about God or his good news, we'll find all sorts of reasons to not do that, right? 
And we're going to see Moses do just that. He's going to find all sorts of excuses in our, in our next chapter. Moses is commanded to speak, and so are we. Speak of God. Speak of his good news. Second thing we see in our passage today is we are to expect. First of all, we, are going to, we, are to, we, to, we should expect some to respond, and that's exactly what God tells Moses here. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. They will listen. It goes on, it says, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Now, I'm not sure why I missed this in years past. If you grew up in church, you've known about the Exodus for as long as you can remember, right? It wasn't just Moses and Aaron that went to the Pharaoh. It was also the elders of Israel. It says so right here. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. So when Moses goes and finally stands in front of Pharaoh, he is uh, not necessarily directly related to this Pharaoh, because remember uh, the, the princess that adopted him 80 years ago, and it's going to be a different generation. Uh, but he's going to have uh, a clear understanding of what it is to be in the palace. He'll know how to behave himself. He'll know how to respond. And he's going to have Aaron with him, who is not going to be quite as on top of it with that. But then he's going to have the elders of Israel, who are slaves. Can you imagine how disgusted Pharaoh's going to be just to see this motley group? Together, they're to go to the king of Egypt, as the verse continues, and say to him, The Lord, Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. In, in our previous sermon in Exodus, uh, and in our next one, Moses expects to be rejected by the people. Which fits, because he's been rejected before, right? But God says, no, the elders will listen. They will listen. One of the main reasons people give as to why they do not share Jesus with people is because they're afraid of rejection, right? Another reason is most of us just don't feel equipped. We, we think we're going to say the wrong thing. So couple these two together, the fear of rejection, the fear of saying the wrong thing, or the sense of inadequacy, and that's a powerful resistance within us, isn't it? Though these feelings are real, they are not based in truth. They are not based in fact, and they are certainly not based in God's word. The truth is, God's word and God's spirit are the true actors when it comes to our witness. We are just the vessel, right? So when we witness, God is the one who is going to do the work. It's not on us to convince someone to believe. Yes, we should know how to respond when they have questions. But God's the one who does the convincing. We are the vessel. Actually, we're more like a valve. God's plan of spreading his message of salvation is for people to be the means. So when we keep quiet or keep to ourselves because, oh, I'm shy, we have effectively shut the valve 
that would allow the Word of God and God the Spirit to reach the lost. And what does the Word of God say? He's going to save people. Now, we don't know who, but God is going to save some people. He will save. So you keep sharing, and some will respond in faith. Now, Moses was told specifically who would respond favorably. We are not told that. But it's true. Some will respond in faith to our message of God and the good news. But we should also expect some to reject, as we see God tell Moses here in verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand. I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Some will reject God. It's true. And maybe you've experienced that. If you've shared the word of God, you've experienced that. I don't know a single person that shared the word of God, and each and every time they share the word of God, someone gets saved. Wouldn't that be amazing? Tyler, how easy would your job be? (laughs) Some will reject God. But God's plan will not be thwarted, right? You can't be the eternal God and know all things and have power and authority over all things and have your plans derailed. No, his plans are never derailed. God knows how Pharaoh will respond. In the coming passages, we will witness Pharaoh respond five times by hardening his own heart. And after that, we'll see five times where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, sealing him into the decision that he has made. Pharaoh will find Moses' request to be absolutely preposterous. You can't possibly expect me to give up all of my slave labor and pretend that I think you're going to come back after a week or so being in the desert. No, you can't go. Not only that, keep in mind the Pharaoh was considered a god in Egypt. So for these slaves, these disgusting, repulsive, despicable people in the eyes of Pharaoh, for these slaves to say, We want to go worship a God greater than you. Yeah, Pharaoh's not going to go for that. So God will compel him with a mighty hand. And indeed, Pharaoh does release them. I mean, we know the end of the story. If you don't, just keep reading in Exodus. You'll get there. God does release, or Pharaoh does release them. The people don't sneak away and escape. Pharaoh actually sends them out. He says, get out of here. God can compel obedience from anyone. Wouldn't it have been easier for Pharaoh to say, okay, just go? I mean, Pharaoh in the end dies because he he chases after them with the army and the walls of water come crashing on him. Wouldn't it be easier to just do God's will and obey him? Wouldn't it be easier for us if we would obey the first time instead of being stubborn and rebellious? Pharaoh is is an example of just how hard-hearted the human heart can be. What does Scripture say? 
the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can even understand it? What that means is we are rebellious in our hearts even when we don't realize it. We are to speak. Moses is commanded to speak. We are to expect a mix of responses. Moses is actually told what the responses will be. Some will respond believing the message and others will reject. Verses 21 and 22. Trust. And I will give this people, the Israelites, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. There is no heart outside of God's control. We trust God to change hearts. God is going to do it to Pharaoh. He's going to do it to all the Egyptians as they send the the people out there and and they ask for gold and silver and clothing and the Egyptians are just going to hand it over because they just want the Israelites gone. God did that or will have done that. God is the one who changes hearts. So trust him. There is no heart outside of God's control. That loved one of yours who has been rebelling against God for who knows how many years, that heart is not outside of God's control. So keep praying for him. Right? These Egyptians who viewed the Israelites as a lower being, as a labor commodity to be bought and sold and abused and discarded at their will these same Egyptians would have their hearts changed dramatically. Rather than insisting they stay, they would compel them to leave. Rather than withhold all the goods possible from them, they would actually load them up. Scripture says that Israel plunders Egypt simply by asking. God is going to use the very people who had abused the Israelites to willingly give over their valuables. Trust God. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who provides. The Israelites are being promised an exit. They are being promised a destination after they exit. And they are being promised provisions, gold, silver, and clothing. God is the one who provides. Trust him. He's the one who changes hearts. Trust him. Moses may well be afraid of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has the resources to kill him. Yet when God called Moses to this task, God was going to ensure that Moses could do it. That's the same for you and me. When God calls us to a task, he ensures that we can Obey him, that we can do it. I wonder how many of God's children God has prompted to serve in vocational ministry as a missionary or a pastor, as a camp worker, as a teacher. And they refused to because they were afraid they couldn't afford to do it. I wonder how many of God's children God has prompted to speak of him like, we're, like Moses is commanded in this passage, to speak the good news so that they could experience the joy of seeing someone's life completely changed. And it is 
great joy to see someone's life completely changed. I wonder how many of God's children have refused to share the gospel because they were afraid of rejection. So often we count the cost of obeying God, but we neglect to consider the reward for obeying God. We need to trust God with the results. In today's passage, God is commissioning Moses. He's given him uh, a command to, uh, to go and speak to the leaders of Israel, to speak to Pharaoh. And God's desire is to use Moses to accomplish God's own purposes in the life of all of Israel, all of Egypt even. God could have forced Pharaoh's hand immediately, right? I mean, is God not all-powerful? Could not God have just done it himself without Moses? Couldn't he have informed the Israelites without asking Moses to do it? Of course. And if you know anything about Moses... You know that he comes up with a lot of excuses. But God uses his people to accomplish his purpose. God says to Moses, speak. And next week we'll see how, God, how Moses says, but I can't speak. God, tells, God says that the elders of Israel will listen. And next week we'll see that Moses says, they will not believe or listen to me. God says, I will make this happen. And Moses responds with disbelief. All these responses are next in the books of Exodus. And I'm telling you this now so that maybe this week, maybe in the next few days, we could be obedient to speak the word of God to people. That we could speak of our great God and Savior who humbled himself, came to earth to live a perfect life so that he might die for our sins, to speak that truth, that good news into people's lives. I'm telling you this so that maybe next week, next sermon won't be quite as painful. Don't worry, it will still hurt. If the word of God never wounds you, you are either perfect, which you're not, I'm not, or you're rebellious. You're hard-hearted, unwilling to listen to the word of God. So my question for you this morning is, how are you saying no to God? Notice I didn't say, are you saying no to God? That's a yes-no question, and those aren't helpful. Because we answer it and go on. How are you saying no to God? Now that assumes that we are saying no to God, and I'm telling us, telling myself, I know there are ways that I'm saying no to God. God wants you to fulfill his 
purposes. He wants you to speak of him. He wants you to speak the good news, both to the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved need it so that they can hear the gospel, so that they have an opportunity to respond to it. But the saved need to be reminded of the good news so that we can remember the cost of our sin, the pain that it caused, the wrath that we deserved. When we speak of him and his good news, some will respond and worship God and will rejoice. Some will reject. It's okay. They didn't reject us, they rejected him. But God will produce the results. We are never responsible for the results. We are responsible for obedience. So, let's go out of this building and into the world and obey. Let's pray.